Before we get started, I'd like to mention that the DST episode was set out initially to just be a single episode. But as I continue to talk to Anto, Rama, and, you know, Teddy, there was a lot to unpack. So we decided to split this into two episodes. Please do not miss out on the upcoming episode as we conclude this really meaningful conversation on the DST controversy. So be my guest. Tune in for the second part of this conversation. Thank you. Welcome to Tech Over Africa with Wangare Njadi. This is one woman's take on the story of the rising digital economy in Africa. On the show, we talk to expert guests on all things tech. Is tech uptake in Africa all good, all bad, or somewhere in between? Join us as we interrogate and make sense of the policies that guard our interests. Disruption is often a messy process, so where will we be once the dust settles? I am joined by three brilliant minds, smart people who are in tune with the digital creative economy in Kenya. And so we'll start with you. You're muted. The government <laughs> was muting me. <laughs> the KRA, the KRA, they're here with their, their devices available. Talking too much, this one. He needs to... Thank you, Dr. Wangari. My name is uh, Anthony Soul. My government name is Anthony Mwangi. I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm an on-air personality, but I'm also a digital content creator. And I'm a cousin to the host. I think I need to put it out there so they don't come for me one day and say, conflict of interest. <laughs> Oh, I know what you're doing, Anto, because you see me making a lot of money soon. So you're also taking your tax in advance. Yes, I'm like, Luckily, we have a lawyer and a journalist here. Rama, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's it's interesting that we're having this conversation with Anto Soul because I remember one of the first songs I ever heard of his. I had an interesting title, Paid My Dues. Save my so, have, so have you paid your dues <laughs> to care? Oh, yeah. You know? And I just say this, the Biggest, my biggest problem with this song is every time it's fighting season, guys will tell me, have you paid your dues? But can yes. never run away from being government. Thanks, but, Rama, for it. Anyway, my name is Raman Yang. I'm a business journalist. Have been since 2006. I've got wow. bylines in a couple of places, but for now, you can find them over at Bloomberg and China Global Television Network's Africa Bureau in Nairobi. Perfect. And Rama was Mr. Smiley Pants. I schooled with Rama, actually, and many other big journalists in Kenya who are not as accessible as Rama. Rama, thank you so much for, you know, even Anto, for staying so humble and still being within my mm. network. Teddy. <laughs> thank you, Angare. So my name is Teddy Ochim. I'm an advocate of the High Court. It is I started my practice actually by being a tax expert. But I think uh, the ad to make money converted me into a commercial advocate. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really, really grateful for you guys. Thank you for coming to this show. We're going to be talking about the digital service tax controversy that has been happening in Kenya. So just like many other parts of the world, the creator economy is also taking shape in Kenya, where we have a lot of young Kenyans that are actually trying to monetize digital platforms. So in this discussion, we're going to interrogate the contentious digital service tax within the greater scope of the digital economy. The broader goal is to actually discuss monetization issues that are arising from the creator economy and the dynamics of digital labor that are largely misunderstood. In 2021, if you guys remember, the Kenyan government launched what they call the digital service tax. And of course, 
because they look at, you know, platforms as a digital marketplace, you know, platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and the whole idea is to be able to make money from these platforms. However, there was a problem in how the whole digital service tax was launched. A lot of content creators were sort of caught off guard. Part of my dissertation was actually interviewing content creators in Nairobi, and that's how I got to learn about the contentious digital service tax. And then recently, we did have the finance bill 2023 that sort of brought back the conversation. In the beginning, in 2021, when it was launched, it wasn't a hot contentious issue as much as it happened this year. And the digital service tax, like we're going to discuss today, is actually not a local issue. So it's a global concern. However, to start us off, I'd like to ask Teddy to please, can you give us a quick overview of the finance bill 2023 specific to the, you know, digital content creation tax and how it differs from the 2021 version that had been launched earlier? Thank you. Your question is very simple in that basically what transpired between 2021 and 2023 is that they increased the rate. So initially they had suggested it to go to 15%. But now they have reduced it to 3%. Ideally, in 2021, when it was launched, it was 1.5%. So there's just an increase. They just want to capitalize on how much they can draw from that digital service tax. All right. And, and, and so what is the problem, really? Rama, would you care to explain to us why Nairobi digital content creators are really grappling with this idea of the digital service tax yet, when I spoke to some of the government representatives, they said everybody must pay taxes. It doesn't matter who you are and how you're generating income. And, you know, this drastic increase that Teddy is talking about, how we're jumping from 1.5 in 2021, then we go back to withdrawing tax, which has been 5%, and then all of a sudden we have 15%. And now we're here where it has actually gone back to, you know, 5%. So what is really the problem and how do you think this is likely to implicate the digital content creators in Kenya? Well, unfortunately, digital content creators are being caught up in essentially a perfect financial storm, right? So essentially what's happening here is that government has a spending problem. They want to spend a ton of money. And if you think about it in context of what's happened in the last five to 10 years, but pretty much more towards the last five years or so, the Kenyan government has been on one massive debt binge for a fairly long period of time. And in some of those specific years, if you look at, you know, fiscal 2018, 2019, 1920, and then of course going into, into 2021, there's a very significant miss in terms of tax revenues for every single one of those years. In 2018, 2019, for example, the tax target was closer to 1.8 trillion shillings. They missed it by about 269 uh, billion. So if you do the math using the exchange at that point in time, it's about $2 billion, right? Mm. Now, if you're, if you're missing $2 billion in revenue and you have to fill that hole by borrowing from either the domestic market or the foreign market, at some point, that cost of servicing that debt catches up with you. And so the net result of that is what we're seeing now. In fact, even over that period of time, we had a whole host of crazy tax ideas that were coming out of nowhere. And the government looked around and said, well, hang on. These, these people we see on Instagram, flossing around with their SUVs, popping champagne every other weekend, we think that they're actually not probably paying taxes. So we should go after those guys. And that's the net result of where we are today. Now, of course, I know we'll go into details of, you know, the rights and the wrongs of it, but that's a, that's a quick and dirty answer. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. And clearly it shows there's a loop in the whole process. So Anto is a creative and I would, I'm very interested to hear what, what he thinks about this topic and what really the government is missing from the perspective of somebody who creates digital content 
on a day-to-day -day probably to make livable income? I mean, first and foremost, they really have the withholding income tax that we pay whenever we work with organizations. So clearly here, and also for me, another issue of double taxation. And clearly, I, I think it comes from two things for me. One is that most governments, as you can see in Kenya, really politicize the finance sector. To reiterate what Rama is saying, the spending problem becomes a political problem in the sense that somebody has to pay for the spending problem because they put people in power, so something has to be done out of it. I mean, it, it's, they don't really say that they, they want taxes to be paid so that we can get better services, mm. just so that we can be able to enjoy taking power. And so anything will be done for them to get that uh, money. But also, then when you go after people who you want to pay taxes, clearly there's an issue of apathy here. They just don't care what we think or what's really going on the ground. Look at it this way. If I'm marketing a kayak, I'm supposed to drive a couple of USV this month so I can tell people to actually buy the cars from those kayaks. I mean, you can't automatically assume that I own those cars. You know, the government is in a position to, and, and they've mentioned this a couple of times or threatened us a couple of times that, you know, they're able to link our bank accounts and not just as, di as digital creators, but as a Kenyan, as any Kenyan able to check on our lifestyle, check on our bank account, and snoop on our M-Pesa balances and our transaction. So, I mean, there's a level of apathy. They don't really care. They don't want to hear. They don't know what's happening. And they don't have a board or a specific or representation from ourselves that allows them to understand this is the image. This is the real life. I mean, most of the digital content creators you see doing some of these things, some of them really struggle. You know, you fake it till you make it. So we also have to blame for sort of living a life that we really can't afford because then people, what they see is what they believe in. Right. So we also have to blame ourselves for that. But also the issue of apathy, the issue of out of touchness from the government. Bring a new breed of guys. I hope that yeah, like, for me, it's the idea of ignorance and just refusing to learn. And, you know, like what's the due diligence, the process they actually took to come up with even the 15%, which is ridiculous in the first place. And it's... My, my issue here also, Annie, is we talk a lot about technocrats, you know, who surround the leadership, the president, and all the people. Every single time, some of these policies or amendments or even just ideas are floated. Mm. People like Rama, people like Teddy, who always go online, bend, rant, write, you know, factually put all their brains on those social media posts you know, go to some of these parliamentary committees and really air out their views. But then there's such a huge disconnect between someone who is a financial expert is telling you that this is what you should be doing. But that's the idea that they, they will not listen and they don't care. Right. I mean, I would question and say, who's this steady guy? What is his writing on LinkedIn? I want to know, is there some truth mm -hmm. to it, you know? Yeah. But they just... Do not and hear. worst of I all, if know. they don't want to think, they can hire the teddies of this world to think on their behalf, right? If they don't want to do the groundwork, if the groundwork is actually the problem. Yeah. For me, I remember when the DST was launched, one of the problems I have with it is that the government failed to do what you call public consultation. And it's a requirement by Article 10 of the Constitution where whenever Kenya is creating any policies before they actually launch them into the public, they're supposed to go through public scrutiny. But in the case of DST, out of the 50 content creators that I spoke to when I was conducting my research, none of those had actually been asked about it. 
And I know recently when people were petitioning from 15% to 5%, the president did meet with YouTubers. But we don't even know what came out of that meeting. All of a sudden, we were just told, okay, now it's 5%. So it's almost like information is almost dropped to us like a bombshell. But we really never get to understand the process and the people behind the process and how these policies are being formulated and for whom, right? Because he could have met with two YouTubers. And is that a representation of the entire creator economy in Kenya? No. So those are some of the problems that I'm actually uh, dealing with. Just to add on what you have said, Mm -hmm. we have the office of the attorney general. In parliament, we also have a clerk who was legal officer. Right. All these parties are supposed to ensure that whatever document they present to members of parliament, to either vote on it, to discuss on it, has gone through a thorough research, both internationally mm. and local, that it aligns to the local laws and international laws. If you look at the BST tax, basically its origin is not Kenya. Right. It's international. The Organization of Economic and Cooperation Development already said that this is why we are introducing this tax. The basis is that most of the digital service providers are not local. Right. But the consumers of this service, you find are local people. How then do we benefit the countries where the consumer? You know, that, that was the genesis. Mm. And if they had read the policies that are in line with the OECD, be able to say that there's a stop period for implementation of that tax, they would have known this is the genesis, and this is how we are going to implement it. But what you find is that the MPs saw a loophole of generating income. Right. And okay, now let, let's capitalize on this loophole. Even the analysis of putting up the percentage was not considered in line with the international uh, organization that then runs this particular tax. Yeah. yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And I think that's why we're seeing issues of double taxation, right? Because we already had the five percent in place. So you wonder why do we need the fifteen percent again? And I remember speaking to content creators in Nairobi and they were very concerned and confused. In fact, I know somebody who of course I won't mention the name, was one of the content creators that was invited by Kenya Revenue Authority during the COVID nineteen to be threatened, like literally on a Zoom call for two hours, to be threatened and be told, we know you're making money online. And if you don't pay taxes, these are the consequences. Kind of what uh, Anto was speaking about, where they're literally surveilling and intruding on your privacy on digital platform to basically justify the 15% or whatever amount they want. So again, it's a very scrupulous process. It basically shows there's no due diligence. There's no consideration of trying to understand what is the creator economy. But contradictory, this is the same government that is actually trying to say we want to create as many employment as possible on digital platforms. How is that possible in a country that has over 70% of its population as the youth and you're saying you want them to make money through digital platforms, but you're not empowering them? If anything, you're actually disempowering them. And these are, most of these people are young. They are unemployed. They are trying to look for livable source of income. So my problem here is the divergent, you know, views and perspectives and the process into which the government has taken to come up with this 15%. So I totally agree with you, Teddy. And and moving on, let let me ask a question. There are convergent interests between actors within the creator economy, which have sort of created antagonistic interests. 
So what are your thoughts on how the government has handled various actors? Because it's not only the government and the content creators. If you look at the platform economy or the creator economy, there's the platform themselves, which is what we call the big tech, GAFAM, right? The Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and so on and so forth. And then you have the brands. These are the corporate organizations that are actually giving brand sponsorship and deals to these content creators. And then you have the content creators themselves. And then, of course, you have maybe IGOs, those are internet governance organizations or CSOs, you know, civil society organizations that are sort of fighting for digital rights, so to speak. So what are your thoughts on how the government handled various actors' interests when they were designing the DSD? One of the things that happened, and, and I've realized this after the DSDs, you know, all, and all these policies that be floated around, I realized that for some of the clients who I can't mention, but they are Part of that, you know, that big five. Some of them, when they want to work with you, they get in touch with you through agencies, for example, in South Africa. Right. Who then will send you contracts and will pay you based off of their laws in terms of what, you know, how it's allowed in South Africa, for example. So you'll be paid your money. When it gets to you, now you decide what you're doing with your money in terms of your tax obligation. That's not on them now. So they don't want to handle that. And I mean, it's it quite sort of explicit in the way that it's, it's now taking away jobs from agencies in Kenya. Right. Because you want to create content, you want to get influencers, you want to get, you know, creators to work with. You don't want to be caught up in, like I said, the politics of finance bill and you want to pay people. And then tomorrow you have a different tax to be able to pay them. You also need to pay your own taxes as an organization. To be honest, it's tiring. And that's just in the short run. In the long run, for me, it means that work will leave because I don't believe there's any institution that is okay to be in any environment where they are constantly stuck between crosshairs. Are we offending the governments? Okay, we've not offended them, but now that apparently when we backdate mm. these taxes, we haven't paid. I mean, nobody wants to be in that sort of environment. But in the, in the flip side also for creators is that it's now going to create masters between now creators and accountants. Mm. And people in government, it's now going to create masters of tax evasion and tax avoidance. That's right. That's actually where so we're headed. Them, yeah. yeah, them ignoring to to speak to the creators, to speak to organizations, it's there. Mm. The repercussions are there. For example, I will insist, I don't want to be paid by the bank. I want to be paid by cash. If you really want to work with me as a, as a content creator, and you, you know my influence, you know my numbers, you will, you will have to go with what I want. Right. So... What then happens in that case where you're, yes, you're trying to tax people, but then when you really survey, like you're saying, they actually show you haven't earned any amount of money, but they've been earning money, but avoiding and evading to pay tax. Right. So there's a lot of malpractices that are actually arising because the, the whole economy is unregulated. We don't know who's making what, how much they're paying and to whom, right? It's a concrete jungle, right? Whatever you get with your ex-company and whatever they pay you, that's what you make. So when the same government comes and tries to make a little out of the same pie, you're like, really, what's going on here? What are you coming for if you're not protecting my rights as a worker? And the example of the South African agency or other agencies, international agencies that are actually coming to Kenya to seek content creators. One of the problems that I found out during my research period is that there's actually issues of digital pay gaps, underpayment, exploitation overworking these content creators overwork themselves 
and you find they're being paid way less than what other international agencies are paid. I spoke to somebody who worked on a really big international campaign that was happening simultaneously across the globe. And the person realized that whatever they were being paid was way less because he was copied on an email with other international content creators from different parts of the world. And apparently everybody was being paid in dollars and really good money. But this person was getting just a little, you know, out of the entire campaign. So the government has failed to look at digital pay rights, the gaps, the overexploitation, which some of these brands and the big tech are taking advantage of the loophole, you know, as Teddy called it. If you go back to March 2023, the American Chamber of Commerce had a regional business summit here in Nairobi and the, the Kenyan president addressed it. He had a whole speech there. And one of the things that he said at that specific one was, quote, I am committed to make Kenya one of the most attractive places to do business. And then he then goes on to elaborate on a whole bunch of tax changes, tax policy changes that he's making specifically to benefit foreign firms. So for example, he comes in and he says, oh, you know, the issue of tax refunds has been a thorn in the flesh for many companies. We're making a policy shift on this. Effective June this year, all verified tax refund claims will now be payable within six months. He's, he's president now. When he was deputy president, his predecessor was talking about the exact same thing. It never actually happened. He also spoke about um, dealing with VAT on exported services. And you sort of see this happening with the way companies like Microsoft, Apple, Google were charging you for iCloud storage, your Apple Music subscription. There have been prices, a series of price increases that essentially have happened in this market, partly because of the changes that the Kenyan government has made to its tax policy. Now, it's all well and good for him to say these things, right? And then give him concessions like, for example, you know, under the national ICT policy here, if you're a foreign entity at some point, if you're going to set up shop in Kenya, you need to have at least 30% local ownership. Yes. But, and I'm quoting him here, this is a speech. This position is untenable and it has made it impossible for large corporations to invest in Kenya. Now, if you're going to give those companies these sort of concessions, at the same time, you're turning around and say, oh, hang on, we, we need to fill in this fiscal deficit that we have, right? The gap between how much money government is spending versus how much it's actually able to raise through taxes and payments for the services that it provides. If you're going to try and close that gap, you're going to have to squeeze someone for the money because politicians see this primarily as a case of, no, 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 you guys have cash. Right. It's an other person's money problem. We'll make concessions to companies because, oh, supposedly we need the FDI, mm. but turning around and actually saying, wait, hang on a minute, but wouldn't it actually make sense if we make it easier for creators like Anthony, for the small and medium-sized creators who mainly have an audience of 2,000 people, 3,000 people, to actually be able to get out there and say, you know what, I have made X amount of money. Yes, it's a bit irregular. Here's a 5% to government. That's it. No questions asked. No red tape to go through in the name of filing taxes. There's a hugely unequal treatment when you compare what foreign companies get versus what Kenyan taxpayers and citizens right. are actually getting. I like where you're going with this conversation. I love that. So many governments find themselves stuck in a paradox, actually. And unfortunately, those of us who come from emerging markets, right? On one hand, there's tremendous pressure to control social media and the internet, right? Like we need to regulate this monster, whatever it is. But on the other hand, there's significant pressure to keep up with other countries by giving key government you know, online services, and also to leave space for innovation. That's why governments like Kenya will come up with programs like Ajira and say, oh, this is a digital 
skills program to empower young people. But at the same time, if you dig deeper from what Rama is saying, is that platforms hold enormous power, right? It's almost like the government, the Kenyan government, and many emerging markets governments are actually powerless. It's almost like they cannot actually flex their muscles. So some of the ways they do this is to, they, they, some of the platforms, they do tax avoidance. They get away with things to do with privacy. They have anti-competitive behavior. They have national security issues. That's why we saw issues to do with Cambridge Analytica during, I think, two, three elections, you know, far off. So as a result, governments like Kenya end up implementing company-friendly policy measures that favor tax incomes, employment, and public-funded internet infrastructure expansion programs. So that's why you'll see like the likes of Jack Dozier, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, flocking the African market. They know this is the next frontier. They know it's the only continent with the fastest and the youngest growing population, which is actually going to surpass India and China by the year 2030, having 70% of its population being the youth. So they do know how they're making money. And the government is also aware of this. But because of we must create favorable tax, you know, concessions, as you're calling them, the government is literally in bed with the big tech. But who ends up suffering? Who's actually facing the heat? We're destroying the same young content creators who are unemployed and who are just seeking a means to an end, which is just to survive by monetizing platforms. Yeah, actually, I've correctly pointed out, you know, this is the new neocolonialism. Hmm. That's now happening. Right. And actually it's labor. Because what, what you are actually doing when you deprave the people and they're not complete and they're not sufficiently paid, then what will they resort? Right. So you find uh, many people then saying, okay, the uh, rich versus poor gap is increasing. Mm. So I as a poor person and this has learned, and it actually happened uh, just before the campaigns, you realize people are saying, those people with guns are dynasties. And maybe that guy is alone. Right. You know, so you find somebody going with a bike, throwing stones at that car. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. When in this district, you're going to find people begin throwing stones, all right, against government and institutions. So for me, this is actually just slavery. And you know, the constitution of Kenya has said none should be subjected to slavery and servitude. Mm. But that's what's happening right now. With this introduction of these tax, there's actually servitude. Because somebody say, I don't have a source of income, but I have to rely on this. Right. And then the government comes and says, I have to get a piece of it. I don't care how hard you worked to get it, but I have to get a piece of it. And I will not consider anything, you know, the market dynamics, nothing. I will go straight into getting a piece of the pie. They, they really ever do care. There's actually an interesting example we can use from Kenya's tax history. This, this is actually not even that long ago. This was 2014. If, and this is from the consumer market, so it doesn't even have anything to do with tech as such. In fiscal year 2013, 2014, the Kenyan government decided, you know what, we need to actually go after the, the low ends of the beer market, right? Mm -hmm. So they decided we need to impose taxes on these keg beers, right? There's a very popular brand at the time anyway called the Senator, Senator Keg Beer, and that used to come in mm -hmm. massive, massive, massive sizes. So the Kenyan government at this particular product line was exempt from excise duty. So it really appealed for consumers who were essentially hard up, who just needed to get, you know, that little moment of relaxation from, you know, pint of beer on the way home and they could. Kenyan government saw that segment grow and they said, ah, there's an opportunity here. Let's just go and get some cash. So they essentially imposed a whole bunch of taxes on that market segment. 
in response, companies do what they do, right? They're going to pass on that cost as much of it as they can onto the end consumer. The price of this commodity went up by 60%. So now consumers are paying 40 shillings. And you know what happened to sales? Down 85%. Right. 85% in six months. Sales virtually went from here to virtually nowhere. Now, these examples abound in Kenyan fiscal policy history. You try and tax something because you think, oh, there's money here. We're going to make cash out of it. Consumers are not dumb. They're going to decide, okay, well, if this is too expensive, I'm going to switch over to something else. And the costs around that are not just monetary. This is not just a case of, okay, EABL had made this investment in producing this specific product and they're no longer selling most of it. That may have implications on jobs. But if you think about it from a consumer perspective, Mm. right? We're switching away from a product whose quality control is known, whose safety is known, and these consumers will still, it's not that you've eliminated the need for people to get high. Right, yeah. That need is still there. So what happens? These people switch over to illicit products, and that has effects and costs in social terms, because if someone essentially, you know, doing something that's laced with methanol, then those healthcare costs are going to be borne by households. And we know from previous surveys that healthcare costs are one of the ways in which Kenyans essentially go bankrupt. So because of that one policy change, you can have so many ripple effects that impose other costs that were essentially wholly avoidable. And the Kenyan government, unfortunately, when it comes to tax policy, just chooses to not learn from its own errors. Wow. So from what you're saying, basically, we seem to have a very long history of not understanding anything to do with tax research or just understanding the market and the dynamics of any markets before we actually launch these policies and just trying to understand who's really benefiting at the end of it all. And I feel like people, people also, when we introduce these policies, an underlying fact or, you know, here is also that people are, I feel like we don't make as much noise about it, but people are also questioning where then do our taxes go? Right. And I think that after you get a lot of the rebellion, whether it's a DST, because then, okay, as the government, so I'm giving up my, my 5% withholding tax, and then now I have to pay the DST. So where are you taking my taxes? Right. Because I'm not seeing any difference in terms of infrastructure, resources, mm. opportunities. So none of that is there. And I, and I was writing something here and I realized they sort of like, um, there's a pattern. I keep insisting it's a political pattern. So first is a problem. The problem is that we need to fill these deficits. We need the money. We need to find that money somehow. Okay. So what do the politicians do? They begin to promise we were going to fix the roads. We will build markets. So now the political season, they begin to promise. When the moment they get into power, then they begin to plunder because now remember the issue with the with politics is that, and I think the common monarchy, the common citizen, a lot of times everywhere in the world, they do not acknowledge or they don't understand that all we do is vote. Mm. They count the votes. All we do is vote. That's the fact that they count the votes. So what happens after they have promised and they begin, why are they plundering? They are plundering because it's payback time. Right. They have to pay back to the people who won, put them in power, mm. who were busy financing their campaign periods, were busy paying for that advertisements, were busy paying for all these things. It's a whole ecosystem that as a citizen, you must be cognizant to it. By the time now, after they've plundered and they've finished all the money, they're now pondering. <laughs> now, what do we do? Because now we have given back. Yeah. 
we do not know now what are we going to do. We need to, we need to find a way to put this money. It's such a carte blanche behavior uh-huh. that you will appoint 50 CSs with no regard to the economy whatsoever, straight face to the, to the, to the cameras and turn the other side and say, we need taxes, we need money. Yeah. After you've put into power, and then you also have politicians who go ahead and say, what is 700,000? That's a drop in the ocean. As far as they're concerned, it's, it's a drop in the ocean for me to be able to essentially get control of the system. Right. Right? Yes. It's, it's, they're looking at it as a cost of doing business. For them, it's not a fine. So, for them, it's, I have these people here, I'm paying off potential political opponents, I'm rewarding political yeah. uh, people who supported my bid for office. That's it. This is a cost of doing business. Does it have the Kenyan taxpayer? Does it provide value for money? I don't. You don't That's care, not right? Are you going to go to court and challenge? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you, and you're shooting yourself in the, you know, in the wrong arm. What, what are you trying to vaccinate when you try to get uh, digital content creators to pay? I mean, all digital content creators combined, I am sure they cannot pay the salaries of CSs in the sense that right. people would actually say, yeah, these people, to be honest, I know them. I am one of them. These people don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, so what you're saying, point, Anthony, what, I think what Anto and Rama are saying is very important because it basically shows this is historical, it's systemic, it's in our DNA. There is literally nothing, including the digital economy, that will be able to rise out of the trenches, right? And as much as I'll tell you, out here, when you go to international conferences, people use Kenya as an example of a very digitally advanced country, right, in Africa. But when you start digging deeper, you come across such issues where it's to the benefit of those who are already in power, right? The power gap, it's, be- it's a battle between the haves and the have-nots. And then companies like Facebook will come and try to penetrate the country through, in the name of we're expanding technological access through internet. We are providing undersea cable or whatever kind of gospel they will come with, technological gospel that will come and try to bring to Africa. We already know these people. We already know the problems we're facing are historical and it's systemic. Whatever has happened to the beer industry, transport industry, tourism industry is replicating itself now in the digital economy. There isn't something new, right? It's just the same script different cast that we're seeing here. I want to touch quickly on something that Anto spoke about earlier about data protection and surveillance. I remember in 2021, KRA came and said, oh, we have these special gadgets that we'll use to track down all the content creators or people who are basically showcasing a lavish lifestyle on social media. Okay, we will get you and we will do, I don't know what the consequences were. And this literally is, in, is modern day slavery, like what Teddy was calling it. It's a tool of discipline. We say that internet, everybody should have human rights and also everybody is entitled to internet rights, which also includes safety and privacy. But if the same government is actually coming to troll you to see what you're posting so that they can actually demand taxes from you, it has completely failed to follow the due diligence and the due process to find avenues to actually generate taxes. The problem is not digital content creators paying taxes. I don't think so. The problem is the way in which the government is going about its business. So, Anto, quickly, would you, I remember people created a lot of memes. There was a lot of conversations on Twitter about, you know, data surveillance and intrusion of privacy by the government. And I spoke to one lawyer who was like, really? The government has resources to do that kind of BS? You know, where does the government get time 
to do those kinds of things when people are actually languishing in poverty in other aspects of life. So Anto, as a creative, what do you think about it? Have you been surveilled? Did they find your SUV, your Cayenne, your Porsche? <laughs> <laughs> My God, they should find it. Maybe I have one park somewhere that I've <laughs> been driving around. They did say that we actually got to hire more people to be able to, you know, to surveil, you know, content creators. But also it happened to a friend of mine. So what happened was she sells shoes and, you know, lady, ladies clothing and items online. And so she got a call from a lady to actually buy shoes from her. And she ordered like around seven pairs. And I mean, that was going to be a good business day for her. So the lady told her, oh, no, 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 but don't send your border guys. I want you, the owner, to come specifically because if I don't like anything, if anything, you know, I don't feel the vibe, I will just deal with you. I'll pay for what I like and then you can go back and get me the shoes that I like. So this lady got on a border, border, went all the way to her new, to her new customer. And when she landed there, as they were having a conversation, she was ambushed by KRA official. Wait, those things and happen? she was told that, yeah. Yes. I thought it was and just was a mere that, threat. Oh my God, you people, we know of companies that have CCTV cameras in their premises. And this is specifically for, for who? For KRA to make sure that they actually either stamping, they are tagging their items correctly so that they pay the right amount of taxes. Do people know whether it's wrong or right? They don't know. Whether it's legal, I, I don't know. But I, the truth is, a lot of times it's illegal because I mean, so literally own, you're owning people's businesses and running the businesses on their behalf. So she was ambushed and told, by the way, you now, we know the kind of business you do. You have a money. And if you're selling me seven pesos, jeez, but it's a mouth. <laughs> We're trying to imagine how much money you make in a week. She was so confused. She was, she was, she was actually like given a warning. But then she was told to like, sell like rat on her friends who also have those kind of businesses. And told if... She puts out what, or like goes online and says, oh, guys, today I was haunted by the KRA. This is very wrong. Like if you go and give this story to anyone, we'll come after you. So there are instances where they've actually gone after people because of, of, of the assumption of the amount of money they make. So, but now what you, if you ask her, she'll tell you, a lot of these people in the back street where they sell all these shoes, they will get you an ETR. From that river road, that you will not be able to recognize whether it's real or fake. Wow. So, so people are not even refusing to pay taxes because of the, of the fact that they're refusing, just because, you know, just the apathy towards KRA. Right. No, but now the apathy is, 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 is towards them as either one as a form of rebellion, but also two, it's just, they're punitive. I mean, the, the idea that when I walk out of my house to the moment I get to work, that everything for me seems that, it's ungovernable. Where, where, why should they pay these taxes? Right. What is the reason? And, all, and like I said, you're targeting the wrong people. I am not saying that the common man shouldn't pay taxes because we do pay taxes in a lot of places when you enter Matatu, when you fuel, when you buy goods at the market. We are always constantly paying taxes. But what do we do with people who, well, what do we do with idle land? Right. What do we do with, you know, with hypocrisy when it comes to, you know, that foreign entities can set up and set up businesses in, businesses in Kenya, get free land, get a tax, you know, incentives, not pay taxes over a couple of years or at least a, a couple of months. And then the same people who are paying taxes in this country to even allow them 
these foreigners to exist here, those people, the moment you open your company like this, you need to start paying taxes. My, my accountant told me when we were, you know, filing taxes, he asked, he told me that these guys are saying you have income tax. I mean, I couldn't believe. <laughs> I couldn't, I was like, I have income tax for which house? Me, I only know income rent. That's all <laughs> I do, I pay rent. So, and, and, and when I say it's punitive, I'm also here saying that when they come after you and, and they come after you, by the time Teddy is involved as a lawyer, by the time Rama is involved as a journalist to now highlight the problem, ah, Wangari, it's too late. Right. It's too late. Because now you've been told that you owe taxes. You've been told that this is your new category as a taxpayer. So there is no legal framework to allow you to either one, be able to air out your views, and there's no representation. So it's a banana republic as far as the KRA is concerned, because I feel that, yes, they are important, but I do feel that they have too many powers. Right. Too much power, in fact, honestly. Right. And this is where we're choosing to end this very first part of this episode. Remember to stay tuned for the second part. Awesome. Thank you so much. See you on the second part. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tech Over Africa with Wangari Njadi. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so we can spread the word and the story of a rising digital economy in Africa. For more details on this episode and its host, please visit wangarinjadi.com. Alternatively, follow us on social media. Just look for Tech Over Africa. This podcast is produced by Wangarinjadi and Podcast Carry.